Our, our scripture today comes from the letter of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And uh, we're looking at a couple different passages. Uh, first, Romans 10, verses uh, 9 and 10, and then Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So uh, let me read these for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into the message. Uh, Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then Romans 12, the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I I think I mentioned earlier in the service, we're starting a new sermon series today on the Apostles' Creed, and it's uh, simply titled The Creed. And uh, it's going to take most of the fall for us to work through the Apostles' Creed together. Uh, Today we're talking about what Christians believe and and why it matters. And this is is really an important conversation. Uh, In many ways, no matter where you're at uh, spiritually, you know, maybe you... Uh, you know that you know that you love Jesus and you've been following the Lord for many years and you feel uh, like this, this path of Christianity, this trail, if you will, is one that you know well. You've hiked it a thousand times. And, uh, and the, in that sense, the information in this series might not be new, but if you've hiked that trail a thousand times, you know that we all keep showing up on Sunday mornings because we need to hear the gospel again and again. And again, and the Apostles' Creed is a summary of that. Or maybe you're at the other end. Maybe you feel like you're at the front end of faith and using the trail analogy, maybe you feel like you just showed up at the trailhead in the parking lot and you're, you're gazing up at this path wondering if it's the thing for you and not knowing the way exactly. And in that sense, I, I hope, we hope this series is helpful in that because the Apostles' Creed really is a guide, a map, so to speak, of that pathway. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. You know, maybe at one time in your walk with Jesus, you felt like you had ascended the heights, taken the trail all the way to the top of the 14er, right? Um, But on the way back down, got stalled, or you're somewhere in between, or, you know, the the passion that you once had isn't there anymore. You kind of want that old spiritual life back, that that energy, that, that kind of renewal. And, We'll be talking about how the core message of the gospel does that. It, it transforms us by the renewing of our minds. You don't have to be stuck where you are right now spiritually. If you feel stuck, you can be transformed yet again. Right? This is the good news that, that Jesus is alive right now. So, so it's an important conversation no matter where you're at spiritually. And I believe this is a very important conversation because of what's going on in our culture uh, right now, and, and not, not, the, not the whole everything is going to hell in a handbasket kind of thing, right? 
but just, just the messages that we receive from our culture. Now, I'll, I'll break those down in a little bit, but let, let's start with just a little bit of background. This will be the only time we do this in this series, uh, but it's important when we think about the Apostles' Creed, if it might be the first time you're engaging it, or if you don't know some of the background. It's called the Apostles' Creed, but the apostles of Jesus didn't actually write it. It was written by others, but it's called the Apostles' Creed because it's a summary of the apostles' teaching. And the church often... Uh, really the church around the world, often refers to something called the apostolic witness. And that's, that's the things that the apostles of Jesus left for us, the letters they wrote, the books that they wrote, what they shared with people. They shared with us, the world, a witness, a testimony about what they had seen and heard Jesus do. And that is the faith that has been carried forward throughout the centuries. And the Apostles' Creed is a very simple summary of that. And it it really is accepted by almost all Christians everywhere. Every major denomination accepts the Apostles' Creed as a a summary of the Christian faith. And almost all Christians everywhere. There are some uh, Christians who consider themselves non-creedal and get a little twitchy when there's anything but the Bible that comes up and, and just say, hey, we just want the Bible and that's it, nothing else. So there are some people in that kind of camp, but most Christians around the world, vast majority, accept this as a clear and concise summary of the major parts of Christianity. Uh, and that's really the genius of it. You know, if you dig into the history of this, what the Apostles' Creed really was, was uh, kind of a, a, a profession of faith class outline, if you will. You can trace this as far back as it can be traced, which is just prior to the year 100 AD when the Apostles' Creed can first be identified. And it was the curriculum for a baptism class in the Roman church that would run for an entire year and then new believers would be baptized on Easter Sunday after having studied the the parts of the Apostles' Creed for an entire year, learning the basics, the, the roadmap of the faith, so to speak. And in that sense, it really is genius because the Apostles' Creed states the minimum of Christian belief. It's just the summary of the core doctrines of faith to the point that you could say to believe anything less about Jesus than is included in the creed might be to make you a person who's exploring faith in Jesus, not a person who actually has faith in Jesus because it's that biblical. It just points right back to the stuff in in the scripture. Now, wherever you're okay, there's it, it, wherever you are, it's okay. There's no judgment in that. It's just that this is a summary of the basic stuff, right? I was, I was poking around on the internet not long ago, and I found a really cool map. Can we put the map image up there? This is, uh, so if you can't see it, that's Reed's Lake at the bottom. So you're kind of looking at little East Grand Rapids here, and that's, I think that's 96 over there, right? Um, this is a National Geographic quad map. You can get a map in this level of de- detail for anywhere in the United States for free on the internet these days. And it's, if you look at it really closely, it's fascinating. It's topographical, so it has elevations. Uh, the orange areas are indicate residential zones, so they don't include every physical structure. But when you get outside of those zones, every physical structure is represented on the map. Too. I mean, this map has everything. Everything you could possibly want. So if that's the Bible... This next map is the Apostles' Creed. Right? It's just the, ma- the major roads. Uh, and another hilarious thing about this, I've never heard of that little part of East Grand Rapids referred to as Cascadia. 
Has anybody, where did they get that? Is that legit? Does anybody know? No, okay, they made it up. Google. <laughs> I live in Cascadia. Uh, but, but you get it. It's, the Apostles' Creed isn't everything. It's the well-worn paths, the main things. Um, and that's an important thing. Because in a world clamoring for meaning, in a world that is in every bit existing day by day in a crisis of faith, a roadmap, a, a simple map of the major pathways is so important. So important. I mean, you and I live in a culture that is struggling continuously and barraging us with messages. I don't know to what degree you you think about this actively, but as followers of Jesus, I think we all have to be aware of this. We we are like fish in a fishbowl, and we're all swimming in the water that is our culture, and we're breathing it. We're taking it in and exhaling it. We can't get away from that. There's no way to live out of the fishbowl. We're just in the water. So we have to do a water analysis, right? What, what kind of water are we swimming in? What's good about that water and what's bad about that water? What do we breathe in moment by moment that's not good, right? All, all human beings everywhere are hardwired to pursue meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. From the moment we're born into this world with a cry, right, we cry out for meaning from that moment on. You can see it in the stages of human development. And, and you feel it in your life right now if you slow down enough to acknowledge it. Right? We, want, we want to know, really, what's going on in this world. Where do I fit in? How, how does this all fit together? We keep waking up morning after morning, our eyes opening on a pillow, and yep, here's another day. What's really going on in these days? You know, we, we Americans share a common history in our country. Uh, specifically, we share a, a cultural aspiration and a cultural set of beliefs. And this, this is more culture by culture now. Now, our cultural aspiration whether we know it or not, has been profoundly shaped by our history. Uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All incredibly individual aspirations. My life, my liberty, and my pursuit of happiness. You know, that, that is just in us. And, and it gets... It gets spoken to us. It's in the water in which we swim. And the message we're taking in largely is, hey, you can do this. If you can dream it, you can do it. The American dream, right? You can dream it, you can do it. There's, there's this common kind of, kind of aspiration. And there's also a common set of beliefs. And th- this is a little harder to get our minds around, but some incredible work has been done by a professor at Notre Dame named Christian Smith. And it's now a number of years old, so it's becoming increasingly true for more people. He did a a massive sociological survey to determine what then teenagers in the United States actually believe. Now, now the study is such that now I think those teenagers are now in the millennial category, so 35 and under. But it was a a huge thing, and there's more to it, but basically what he found is that young people in the U.S. believe three things— 
a God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life. Uh, but, but the nuance here was watches over. The idea is that God exists, but God is way out there somewhere, incredibly distant from me. And this is, this is the, the spiritual view of deism, that, that God created the world and like a clock, wound it up and set it on the mantle and walked away and is just watching the clock unwind. That that's what young people in the United States believe. God created the world and watches over it, but isn't actively involved in any way. Uh, the second point, God wants people to be good as taught by the Bible and most religions in the world and good people go to heaven when they die. Uh, and by good, that just... That, that means be kind, be just, don't do really bad stuff. That's the simple summary of that belief. And third is this, the central goal of life is to, hap- to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Largely influenced, I would argue, by our shared cultural aspiration. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's what life is all about. So, all of this goes together, and what this big sociological survey determined was that this, in fact, is not any of the world's major religions, what young people, teenagers specifically at that time believed, and now millennials and down largely believe in our country, did not align with any major world religion and was, in fact, a new religion. Because that specific set of beliefs has never been present in a religion before. This is a new religion. And uh, I don't know why he called it this. I think because it summarizes the three points, but it's a mouthful. He named it, moralistic therapeutic deism. This rolls off the tongue, right? But you see it, the deism, God exists, but he's, he's way out there. Moralistic, God wants people to be good, not bad. And therapeutic, life is all about me being happy. So let's, you know, whatever I can use to make me happy, that, that's what I should do. Um, so you, you can see... This is, this is all unpacking what we talked about in that Romans verse, right? The pattern of this world. Our world has a pattern. Our culture has a pattern that's being foisted on us all the time. You're swimming in the water. You're breathing it. And I would argue it impacts us more than we know. It gets, it gets in there just because we absorb it. So we have the shared aspiration as a culture. If you can dream it, you can do it. And we've, instructed, we've been instructed by our culture to pursue meaning and, and purpose and fulfillment largely through um, um, money and consumption and materialism, which never delivers, right? We chase this stuff down and we're always disappointed and then we do it again and then we're disappointed again. Uh, but, and, and that leaves us all longing for more, right? But our shared belief system says God is real, but he's way out there and doesn't really help you in life, but he expects you to be good, so you better avoid the bad stuff, and along the way, just try to create some meaning and make yourself happy. Wow. I mean, right, if that's the water in which we swim, no wonder people are feeling restless and, and, and exhausted and depressed. I mean, what kind of crazy hamster wheel is that? Who wants to be in that? that tension, right? What we're really talking about are different views of the world. We have a cultural pattern of the world and and a description of the world in the Apostles' Creed. 
And they're, they're completely different. Not just philosophical ideas to kick around now. Not just something to write academic papers about. This gets to that question that we have when we open our eyes in the morning on the pillow and we awake to that new day yet again and wonder, what's really going on here? Our culture is trying to answer that with this bit on the screen. The Apostles' Creed is trying to answer that with a summary like these three points, but of the teachings of the Scripture. And the two could not be further apart in terms of views of the world. Right? If we are interested in growing disciples who make disciples, we have to be able to articulate what a disciple looks like. And gladly, we have the perfect picture in Jesus, right? Our goal is to become more like Jesus and to help others do the same. And one of the biggest indicators of our Christ-likeness is our willingness to sacrifice of ourselves and to be like Jesus in his self-giving love. And that, that kind of uh, understanding, which would be a Christian understanding, is 180 degrees from these three things listed on the screen right now. If the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself why in the world would you give yourself away even to the point of death for other people? These are two completely different views of the world. And and the Bible is very clear here. God did this exact thing, giving himself away even to the point of death for us. Remember one of the most well-read verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world, he, his one and only son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only one and only son. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Can I say that again? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. I mean, this is, this is countercultural. This love leads to giving instinct. It flows right out of the heart of God. And it makes absolutely no sense if you're looking at this kind of summary of what's really going on in the world. Right? There's, there's a proverb, uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve. it says this, there's a way that appears right, but in the end leads only to death. I don't think it's, I don't think it's intended as a, like God's gonna zap you kind of thing. It's not that. It's not like a heaven or a hell kind of, kind of thing. What it means is there's a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it, there's no life there. There's nothing there. It's a dead-end road. It's the wrong way. It's the wrong path. You know? You took a wrong turn. That's why the map is so important. Right? Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I mean, the, 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 the faith is about taking the road less traveled, largely. Right? About really considering what we believe and why. Not just continuing to swim in the fishbowl, in that water, completely unaware of the water, oblivious to the fact that we're just absorbing things, unaware 
of that which we're absorbing. This is about calling time out and asking, what do I believe really? And why do I believe it? Why is it in there? I have this all the time. When I ask that question, I'm kind of praying through, Lord, why is this thing in me? I realize, yet again, this is something I've absorbed. This isn't something that I landed upon consciously, that I considered and weighed and have chosen to believe and place my trust in. It's something I picked up just swimming in the water. And I need an antibiotic because it needs to go. Because it's not, it's not the truth, right? So that, that's what this is all about. Renewal of the mind. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, the, the pattern of this world is pretty well described for our culture in the work of Dr. Christian Smith. At least I think it is. And here it is. God is there but uninvolved. Life is about me and how I experience it. And generally, God wants me to be more good and less bad. Now, this is kind of an older book now, but Rick Warren's um, book called A Purpose-Driven Life. I was, I was a young pastor when that book was released. And I remember there was a huge clamor. It was a New York Times best-selling book. And there was a huge clamor, not just in the Christian world, but in, in, uh, in the news about the first line of that book. Does anybody remember the first sentence of that book? I see a couple heads nodding. It's not about you. That line caused all sorts of conversation. How interesting. A simple line in a book, it's not about you. And the general reaction is, whoa, you're kidding me. Really? Oh, did you? He's bold. Incredible. It's not about you? Whoa. I mean, th- this was the kind of reaction, right? Th- that tells us something. We live in a world that has a pattern that says, it's all about you. And it's not. Right? Uh, Disciples of Jesus need to be reminded of that constantly and renewed in the truth of it. And it's what Paul is talking about in this verse. Know and understand the pattern of this world so you're not dominated by it. So you're not taken in unaware. And, by the way, have in your back pocket a copy of your worldview roadmap. Because whenever things get a little sketchy and you feel lost, just whip it out and check the way. I think it was Carl Jung who famously said, the world will ask you who you are. If you don't know, it will tell you. Every single human being in this room knows what I'm about to talk about, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not. There are, there's an internal conversation that goes on inside of every human being. And in my mind, we don't talk about this nearly enough because it's the pressing reality with which we live moment by moment every day. And many times we grapple with what to do with that. What do I do with that that thought that just popped into my mind? I'm not talking like voices speaking, but just that, the, the internal, you know the internal conversation. And the internal conversation is largely a conversation of identity. 
because we're trying to figure out what's really going on in the world. And this internal conversation is happening in the background all the time. And there's a message that would have us believe that we're something we are not. It's an identity struggle. It's the reason Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, by the way. It's the reason he taught us to pray saying, Our Father, Our Abba. Uh, We don't just repeat the words of the Lord's Prayer. We pray the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said, Every time you pray, start by remembering your identity. Start right there. Before you come with any request, let's address that inner identity conversation, that inner dialogue, very directly and head on every single time you pray. Call me your dad. Because I am. And don't forget that you're my kid. And I love you. Don't believe all the junk going on in that internal dialogue. Those are lies. You know, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Tell that to the voices in your head. It's not true, right? So we have this identity struggle. And another, another huge thing is that in the Western church, we, we tended, have tended to think of spiritual formation as gaining more information. And this, this conversation has impacted even the life of our, our church here. We, 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 we decrescendoed adult education, and this was one of the arguments. The last thing we need is more information, more Christian information in our culture. We all need Bible literacy. We know that. We all need information. It's the first uh, uh, part of discipleship. But without an, a model to imitate, without a model to imitate where we can apply what we're learning... It's all for naught because we're just getting bigger heads and the world is not being one for Jesus, right? So spiritual math goes like this. Information plus application equals transformation. But if we don't have models to imitate, we can never actually apply the information that we're gaining. So we need the information and we need the reproducing discipling model so that we can actually do something about it, right? That's, that's focused and intentional. So the Apostles' Creed is the content of this information, imitation, innovation, flow of discipleship. That's the way it goes, by the way. If I haven't talked about that for a while. The disciple begins with getting information, and then you imitate others walking the way of Christ, imitate Jesus. And after that, you begin to innovate because you have all the resources you need, the information and a pattern to imitate. Then you can riff off of that, kind of like jazz music, right? And you can play your own music, uh, in, in ministry in the world. So we need more than just information, right? But as we focus on our, our purpose of growing disciples who make disciples, the Apostles' Creed is the content of the message we share. It's the information, right? A summary of the information. And whenever we recite the Apostles' Creed, we're re-upping on what we believe. And, and uh, that, that, that believing part is critical. The, the Creed repeats this over and over again. I believe... I believe. And again, in the culture in which we live, that, that statement can be misinterpreted or misheard as meaning, I am of the opinion that, for example, I believe in God the Father Almighty. You might hear that and think it means, I am of the opinion that God exists. 
That is not what the language of the creed means. The word believe in there means trust. It, it, it means I have confidence in God the Father Almighty. I, I, I place my weight upon that claim. I, I trust in that. I rely upon that. See, for the Christian, belief is not just intellectual assent. It's, it's trust. Uh, and every time we recite the Apostles' Creed, we come back to that roadmap in our back pocket that shows us the well-worn path, shows us the way. It articulates again the worldview upon which we stand. As we say the creed again, we're saying, I believe this is true about this world. Not the moralistic therapeutic deism thing. Or if we're from a different culture, whatever has been taught us in that culture. Right? So the Apostles' Creed articulates what Christians believe and it matters because it's both the content of our sharing and a summary of the worldview that we hold in our minds that we might be transformed as our minds are renewed in the Lord. So we're going to do this a lot over the fall, but uh, why don't we stand together now? And in the spirit of speaking what it is that we believe, really, let's say together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for such a concise summary of the teachings of the scripture. Uh, We bless you for the message of the gospel. We bless you that you have not left us without guidance. When we were wandering in the fog, trying to find our way, you came to us in the person of Jesus at Christmas and said, come, follow me. I know the way. And thank you, God, that after that, Uh, The apostles recorded everything that Jesus did and gave that to us in what we now know as the Bible. For their witness, God, to all of the things that Jesus said and, and did, including his life and death and resurrection, we bless you, God. And for those who followed in their footsteps and summarized that, that teaching, that witness into this simple creed, uh, we thank you. And for your pursuit of us, We thank you. When we were far from you, you came after us and have drawn us toward you. And God, wherever we are in that journey today, I ask that you would pour out your spirit on on all of us here and help us to move toward you.
to move down that trail a bit further, to take the next step with you, whatever that might be. By your spirit, reveal that to us and help us. We love you, Jesus. We believe you're alive right now and we commit ourselves to you again anew. And we say thanks. Amen.